thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And I have to say, we have got a stunningly gorgeous guest online with us today. And I'm just going to start with her eyebrows. But having said that, let me say this. (laughs) It's not just about her eyebrows. The most amazing Gabriella Rosa is a um, is a clinical director of the Natural Fertility Breakthrough. Now, we're going to be talking all about fertility and all of the spectacular facilities and methods that this incredible woman has brought to life and all of the hundreds of thousands of lives that she's changed and families that she's contributed to. But when you guys see the photo of this woman, She's an absolute vision. I'm looking at, I've, obviously I've seen her in the flesh, but the photo of Gabriella online just makes you know that you're in the safest hands possible. Honestly, Gabriella, I just, I'm so excited about entering into this conversation with you because you're real. What you're sharing is so insightful and so profound. And for families who have been trying to have kids, and, um, you know, for mums of kids that are trying to have kids, today's podcast show is going to provide so much insight and, I guess, tangible steps that people can take. I'm so excited to engage in this conversation because what is it now? Less than 50% of people are able to conceive. So thank you so much for being a part of today's show. Welcome, Gabriella Rosa. Oh, thank you so much, Karen. It's so absolutely wonderful. And with an introduction like that, I mean, you know, what else does anyone need? So thank <laughs> you. <laughs> well, you are most deserving. Oh, you're lovely. <laughs> Wait till you get to know me. <laughs> sorry, sorry. sorry. She's, she's the princess. You will find out more. Gabriella, <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, it's Kim here, if you could just give us a beautiful um, story leading us up to how you got to being where you are today and why you do what you do. That's a, a great question. And, you know, I wish that I had something really amazing and cool to tell you. <laughs> but, um, you know, what ended up happening was that as a high school graduate, I started thinking, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And, you know, I think that for all high school graduates, it's a pretty difficult question to answer. You know, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And uh, I remember that I was interested in nutrition and I was interested in, you know, understanding more about how the body worked and all of those things. And I started studying nutrition and I decided that, you know, midway through that for me, I really wanted to make sure that I had as many tools as possible in helping the people that I wanted to engage with in treatment and everything else. And, you know, what what happened from there was that I then decided to do naturopathy and I did that. Uh, When I was completing my studies, I was extremely you know, so lucky actually. I had a, a wonderful mentor. I worked throughout my entire um, studies. I worked for an obstetrician gynecologist who was so very encouraging in every way. And he basically, you know, when I was trying to decide what I wanted to do uh, for the rest of my life in terms of clinical practice, he basically said, I said to him, look, I'm, I think that I might focus on children and, and pediatrics. And he turns around to me and, he, and normally he was just always so encouraging. He turns around to me and he goes, that is the worst possible idea. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that response from him. And then he said to me, you know, here's the thing, Gabriella, when you're treating pediatrics, your patient's not your patient. Your patient is the parent of your patient and that's always going to be tricky. And besides, mostly your patient won't even speak. <laughs> so I was like, okay, you make some very good points. And, uh, you know, at the end of that conversation, I thought, okay, well, that's back to square zero and what am I going to focus on next? And I remember going to do, because you've got to do, you know, these hundreds and hundreds of clinic hours uh, to be able to graduate. And I was going to one of these clinic settings and clinic hours that I had to get done. And I see this little A4 poster, you know, that basically said natural fertility clinic. And I thought, that's it. I'll specialize in fertility. So from there, 
you know, I guess it was it was an initial thought of, okay, this sounds like a good idea. You know, I love always love babies and that was why I wanted to go into pediatrics. And I thought, okay, this is the next really great way of making sure that I was making a difference in that realm, you know, in that area of things. And that's kind of how it happened. And it's been almost 20 years now and here we are. I think it's quite an extraordinary situation we have on our hands these days, Gabriella, where Karen mentioned it sounds like is, is one in two couples struggling to fall pregnant. Is that the statistic that we, can, that we are faced with in this day and age? Well, actually, it's, it depends on where you're looking, but globally we're looking at a one in six. One in six. So one in six couples is infertile. Three in, you know, basically one out of uh, four couples basically will suffer from some kind of difficulty in taking a, a healthy baby home. And that could be that, you know, they have had experienced miscarriages or have had other reproductive outcomes that haven't been favourable. And, you know, certainly it is a worrying trend on in many countries. You know, many countries have zero population growth and obviously we know what that does to any economy. So it is definitely an issue. And, you know, we, we certainly know, and I think that the one in, in two statistics or the 50% statistic that uh, Karen may be also um, talking about is that in the last, there was a study, a Danish published study, that in the last 50, 50 years of this study you know, being, being published, there was a halving of male fertility in terms of sperm rates, you know, sperm count and, uh, and other parameters. So there is, it's definitely an issue, you know, for the population at large. Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's a fascinating thing. Cindy has said this for, I would say, 30 years, correct me if I'm wrong, Cindy, but she has said for many years that she does not remember being at school, having, hearing of people with fertility issues. I was at school much later than she was. Um, however, it's an interesting phenomenon. I too don't recall many people struggling with fertility. Yet today, you could just about name people within your inner circle that are struggling. What is your reasons as to why this is happening? Mm, it's a great question. And I think that there are a couple of different reasons for this. I mean, in fact, we could probably name more, more than just a couple, but I think one of the major things is that fertility has become a topic of conversation these days. That's the first thing. You know, it was very taboo to talk about fertility problems and people having fertility problems and, and, you know, having conception difficulties. And even, you know, if you think about it, for many, many years, people, the, the stigma and the, um, I guess, you know, shame around having miscarriages and experiencing miscarriages and all of that has become a whole lot more topical than it has ever been. But there is also alongside that the situation that we've just described and talked about, which is there is an increase in infertility uh, rate within a population and population areas. So I think that in terms of why that is the case, I certainly know that there are many different factors that impact fertility. And, you know, I like to talk about, and I certainly educate the people that I talk to through, you know, we've had over 100, as I said, over 100,000 people now do uh, some of our programs. And, you know, one of the things that I make sure that I drive home for them is that they need to understand one thing that fertility is a team sport, right? Often when a couple is experiencing fertility difficulties and challenges, they will go to a GP, they literally will sit there for two minutes and they will immediately be handed out a referral to go into IVF, right? And that obviously is a problem. Because when we're not looking at what else, what are the obstacles to optimum fertility, what are the obstacles to optimum health, we are then left with a situation where we are trying to solve this problem from outside in as opposed to inside out. And again, you know, if we look at the ability of the body to regenerate and, and create and do things that no technology can do, right, given the right support and the right you know, kind of um, 
environment is quite a, a remarkable thing that, you know, if we, if we put the right ingredients in place, we are going to end up with a very different result. But in this day and age, you know, we know that there are many challenges from, you know, the lack of sleep to the increased stress to nutritional deficiencies to, you know, you name it, many different aspects that go into that mix. But I think that there is definitely a correlation that I see in my clinic, and it's starting to show up in the scientific evidence base as well, about the impact of lifestyle habit and you know lifestyle choices that people make and infertility. Mm, I'm interested in that note where you said fertility is a team sport. I'm just not sure I can tap out and sub in someone else. That's all. <laughs> oh, I'm I, just I checking. That. Like I'm like going, oh, I'm waiting for Kim to have a little giggle there because it's actually pairs, not a team sport. It's tennis pairs. Well, you know, synchronized swimming is a team sport. But absolutely, you know, look, I understand exactly what you mean. And it is, it's a couple issue, Mm. right? And, And this is part of, I think, the big part of the problem that couples experience because what happens is this, when a couple goes to said GP to get a referral for IVF, the next step is obviously they land on the, the office of the IVF specialist who then proceeds to, you know, do a couple of tests and, you know, will send the woman to do, you know, a battery of tests. The man may, and that is a may, be asked to do a semen analysis. How many times over the last 20 years I have seen men who have gone through, in a couple, who have gone through years of infertility who never had actually a semen analysis done to begin with at all? Um, I've lost count, right? So the reality of it is that it's very much a woman's issue in the, the, the orthodox paradigm. And so what happens when we need to understand and we have to go back to how biology works and certainly reproductive biology, because what we know is that women are born, you know, in this day and age, we're still, let's just for the sake of this conversation, say that women are born with all the eggs they will ever have. Stem cells might extend that conversation to a different, you know, realm down the track. But right now, really, that is the situation. We're born with the eggs that we'll ever have and ultimately that declines over time, okay? Now, what happens and what we know is that from primordial follicle, which is, you know, the, the eggs that we were born with, to primary follicle takes a four-month period, okay, for development of that egg. From primary follicle to ovulatory follicle takes another four months. So really, egg maturation is an eight-month cycle, which means that a woman... Sure, the quality of her egg today is literally what has happened across and over her lifetime, but predominantly over the last eight months. The other thing that's important to also realize, and many couples are not told this, is that when it comes to egg quality, the egg is actually responsible for addressing many of the issues that are found within the DNA of sperm, right? So a lot of the the difficulties in terms of DNA fragmentation and uh, DNA errors, basically as soon as the sperm enters the egg, it starts to, you know, the, the egg starts to make this kind of, you know, magic go on that helps to fix some of those errors and those mistakes. But here's what happens. The egg energy is finite. And so when that happens, when the egg has so much more work to do because the sperm isn't optimal, what happens is that its ability in order to be able to not only do that work and then, of course, if fertilization does occur, carry or create a healthy pregnancy to term is vastly diminished. So when I talk about fertility being a team sport and the fact that, you know, we need two healthy partners and two healthy prospective parents in order to affect conception, that's what I mean, is that ultimately what's going to, what it's going to, to mean and what is going to happen is that if we don't have the healthiest possible sperm, even if the egg is as healthy as it can be, if in any case, whether there are ovarian reserve issues and egg quality issues, it's going to negatively impact the chances of a couple taking a healthy pregnancy to term and therefore creating a healthy baby. And we also know that those factors will absolutely negatively impact the ability to keep a healthy pregnancy to term. So it increases the risk of miscarriage as well as the, you know, the incidence of infertility. You just wonder sometimes how we ever get here (laughs) absolutely when when you've just said what you've said you know like I'm listening to it I you know I didn't realize that it was eight months for that to get to maturation and and then you know the the sperm and and all of the things that you were talking about I'm like going 
you really got to wonder how we ever make it here. But once upon a time, there probably wouldn't have been any issues with this because we lived in a natural environment. But these days, you know, our environment has changed. Can you address um, something that I read about in the 80s, which was hormone disruption? And it was based on a book that I read was called Our Stolen Future. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all about the hormone disruptors that are uh, in the, you know, in and around us, in our oceans, in our waterways. Can you talk about those and how they affect us, um, not only with our fertility, but with the amount of cancers that we might be seeing within, um, you know, like the testes, the ovaries, the breasts, uh, etc. Can you talk about that? Absolutely, absolutely. And look, endocrine disruptors are real, right? And a lot of people dismiss them. A lot of people think that, oh, surely it's not really that big a deal. Well, the reality is that anything that is chemical-based from the plastics that you use to wrap your food to the water bottles that are made out of plastic to the cleaning products that you use in your home to the air freshener that you spray around to, you know, you name it, to the pest control items that you may use, you know, all of those things things actually are endocrine disruptors. So when we talk about, and what are endocrine disruptors? Well, basically the the hormones work in a lock and key type situation. So a hormone is basically the the key that goes into a a preset little lock. So let's let's look at it from that perspective because it makes it easy for us to visualize. Now, what happens is that when you have that lock and key situation, you have the lock, but the key, which is the hormone that is meant for that lock, is not the only thing that can fit into that hole, right? Or that can obstruct what's going on there. Now, if something other than the hormone that is meant for that receptor site or that lock goes in there, many things can happen. Some might still turn the key, but not continue through to the whole message, which is to open the door or the window or whatever it is we're trying to open here. (laughs) Um, Others will basically, you know, stop or block a message from getting across to begin with. Others might give a completely different message. Others might not fit in, but again, will obstruct the view or the way. And so what happens with endocrine disruptors is that even though they are not the actual key that's meant for that lock, they are going to have an impact. Right. So, for example, when we're talking about plastics and we're talking about this whole idea of increased incidence of testicular cancer and ovarian cancer, breast cancer and so on, plastics are a really great place for us to focus on because these days there's this whole movement around, you know, BPA-free stuff, you know. Um, The reality of it is that whenever any plastic that has been molded, any plastic at all has phthalates, has, you know, plasticizers, has other chemicals that end up being as endocrine disruptive as BPA is. The other thing that happens is that BPA is one of the bisphenols. And what happens is that when it gets removed from a plastic, others are added. So you might have B, C, D, E, F, G, Z, you know, bisphenols. And so therefore, it doesn't matter that it, is, that it says BPA-free and it makes the public think that, oh, this is healthy, this is going to be okay. Because at the end of the day, it will have just as much as an endocrine disruption effect as if it had BPA because of just the mere fact that it is a plastic. But one of the things that I think is really important, and you know, when we look at our households, when we look at our environments, and when we realize, this is one of the things that my, the people in, in my programs, they are shocked about, you know, one of the, on the second day um, of one of our programs, we, we get them to assess, have a look at what's actually sitting in your laundry cupboard, what's actually sitting under the, you know, the bathroom, the bathroom ca- cabinet and the kitchen and, and everything else and bring out all of those products and have a look at them. Have a look at how many of them are actually made out of different fragrances that are, again, fragrances is a perfect example because it's anything that says fragrance typically is a chemical product, right? And those things are endocrine disruptors. So that's why we talk about for our patients, we tell them don't use perfume, don't use aftershave. You know, obviously aromatherapy is going to be a much better option here. Of course, there are some cautions around that because some oils can negatively impact the ability to conceive, but it's certainly, you know, replacing things like that, you know, replacing your um, whatever sprays that you'd have at home with with those things that are much more natural and much more beneficial for overall health is, of course, going to be a, a very important move. So, you know, there are many things within 
anything that we touch, you know, from furnitures, there are, we, there are many things we can't control, right? And I think that that's important for us to really uh, name that is that we're not here to make people paranoid and go, oh my God, I can't even, I can't breathe, right? I can't enter my home and I can't breathe. But we can certainly be removing and reducing those obstacles to fertility that are found in those endocrine disruptors. Also, you know, other endocrine disruptors that people don't realize, food additives, you know, can play a huge role as endocrine disruptors. Uh, preservatives can also play a role. Um, you know, from the aspect of looking at, um, you know, any of the things that perhaps are man-made in any way, shape or form will have some impact in terms of endocrine disruption. One of the biggest sources of BPA, for example, in our day-to-day lives are receipts. You know, those receipts that you get from the supermarket and and everything else. I mean, you touch that and then, you know, people go and have lunch at the food court and, you know, touch their food and and literally ingesting it from there. One of the easiest ways to make sure that that is, you know, reduced is wash your hands before you eat. You know, don't, don't take the receipt if you don't need to. You know, all of those things make a difference, but you have to first be aware of what they are in order to be able to, you know, make a difference to removing them and, and reducing them from the environment. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's awareness. And once people have an awareness, but so many people don't. So I've been in Melbourne um, over the weekend and I spent probably, I don't know, five or six trips in Ubers Mm. every single one of them had one of those smelly things hanging and I had to get the window down because I'm not used to that like I you know I use Kimmy's beautiful 28 essential oils you know they're my my absolute favorite and to have that fake smell and then I you know I am aware and that's why I put the window down I'd like to say something to them sometimes but I kind of go hey I'm only in the car for a short period of time so going on from just not infertility and um, uh, infertility and not being able to hold a baby, so miscarriage. What about all these, the young girls? There's a lot of young girls that aren't getting their periods or, you know, missing periods, not getting their periods. There's PCOS, there's, mm. you know, endometriosis. There's, there seems to be just so many more issues um, that are happening for, you know, not only the men but for, the, for young women especially. Yeah. What's happening there? Well, I mean, look, you know, pesticides is a, is a really big piece of this puzzle as well because what happens is that all of those are endocrine disruptors at the end of the day. So, you know, estrogen dominance is a big problem in our society. So estrogen dominance comes from, again, you know, if we go back to this idea of endocrine disruptors and what they do in terms of blocking messages and, and delivering incorrect messages, what ends up happening is that it produces this idea within the body that, hang on a second, I've got this... And, and mind you, typically endocrine disruptors, not all, but plastics, for example, are estrogenic, okay? Estrogenic conditions that, you know, you, you've just talked about, you've touched on and uh, on endometriosis, fibroids, you know, ir- either irregularity of periods or excess, you know, flow mm-hmm. um, and periods that basically are just, you know, irregular. PCOS as well. I mean, there is definitely, it's, there's, a, there's an absolute link in terms of environmental factors and how that ends up impacting the ability for the body to self-regulate and regulate ovulation. Now, what also happens in not all cases of PCOS, but in some cases of PCOS is that you have, even though you have an increased androgen uh, impact, you will also have people who are overweight right, with PCOS and insulin resistance is an issue. But if you are overweight, you are going to be producing more estrogen as a result of your fat stores as well. So there is definitely this piece of the puzzle that comes, you know, it's from within but also from without kind of thing, you know, the, the outside in versus the inside out type of situation. So there are many, you know, I think that one of the things that I wrote about in my new book that's coming out is this idea that fertility isn't something that you need to learn about when you've decided that, you know, you are in the honeymoon period and you want to have a baby, right? Fertility is a conversation that should be, you know, like what are we, what are we taught in school? You know, it's sex ed. What is sex ed? It's about contra- contraception. Mm. Right? Actually, it's not even about contraception. What it is, it's about taking the pill and using the condom. Right, so you avoid STIs, and most people kind of ignore that part, and they just take the pill. 
So what happens is when they're taking the pill, they are already setting themselves up for a huge amount of endocrine disruption from a place and a period in time where the HPO axis, which is the hypothalamus pituitary and ovarian axis, is most vulnerable. So what happens is that if we're doing this kind of, you know, irregularity of cycles already from that period where the, the, the HPO hasn't been able to set the scene and set the tone properly, what ends up happening is that we end up with all sorts of irregularities. You know, and the pill is one of those things that triggers a lot of these irregularities as well. So in sex ed, you know, when we've been told basically take the pill so that you don't get pregnant, we're not even considering the fact that, you know, one day we might actually want to get pregnant. And what are some of the things that we need to be cautious about now so that we're not impacted down the track? All of those pieces of education need to be happening at a high school level. You know, they, they, sh- they shouldn't just be happening. You know, most people, you know, what, you know what's fascinating? Most women, unfortunately, have no idea of when they actually can get pregnant in a cycle, when they actually ovulate, what's happening for them. You know, what, some people think that they can just have sex and get pregnant because that's what we're told at school. We're told at school, don't go near that thing <laughs> because you'll get pregnant. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so we kind of don't go near that thing or if we go near that thing, we do other things, right? Mm. But these things negatively impact our fertility in the long term and that we're certainly not told. So that piece of education is certainly missing from the education system and I think that that needs to be a reform right there in order to prevent young people from being the infertility patients of the future, which is exactly what's happening. And, you know, the other part of this, and this is a part that I'm very passionate about because I see it all the time, is the fact that, you know, now we are creating, we are bypassing certain aspects of infertility and we are basically creating humans who will never be able to conceive without assisted reproductive technologies, not because they didn't have a chance to begin with, but because the first resort, the first port of call was something that just, you know, bypassed an issue that could have been resolved if people had taken action much, much sooner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that we have to look at not only population, but we, we have to look at humanity at the end of the day, you know, and, and looking at the choices that we're making based on all of that context, not just, you know, what's going to sell the next IVF cycle or what's going to sell the next lot of pills. Mm. And that's the pity, isn't it, is that we've become that pill-popping society and, and the whole thing that the, you know, that the female has to take the pill, um, you know, and to me it's a two, two-way street. And I, I, I think it was the Billings method that my mother gave to me. You know, mm. she, and that's why I have three children. No, only kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you were lucky then. <laughs> <laughs> I am very lucky, you know, like, but it was the Billings method. My mum was totally against the pill and she made sure that we knew and she, you know, she handed us this book and then Francesca Nash, and I noticed that Francesca Nash endorsed your new book coming out in August this year. Mm. Uh, like, I just think there have been these beautiful people that have been almost silenced by the pill and are not being listened to as to how we understand our fertility and how beautiful it is to understand our fertility. And I think one thing for me, um, even though I, I was the weird one, you know, always the weird one, but one thing for me when I read The Red Tent, that beautiful book, um, you know, about, Jacob's sister, Jacob and the multicolored, um, or Joseph and the multicolored um, coat sister. When I read that book, I went, this is the way it was. This is, we all got our cycles together. We got them on the moon cycles. It's 28 days, you know, as Kim calls her, her product 28. It's, it's about what we're all about. We are about 28 days. And and cycles are no longer like that because of, of what we've done. And our young girls are not being taught. Mm-hmm. Is one of the things in um, your book discussing, you know, the pill and the fertility rates after the pill and what are the, the, what are the alternatives? Yeah, look, you know, there, there are some great books out there already discussing that. But I think that one of the things that are the alternative, I mean, the, there is a fantastic app actually that has come out that has the same 
success rate and it's medically uh, approved, same success rate as the actual pill, right? And it involves mm. basically body-based or temperature charting, right, and, and monitoring your symptoms. It's called natural, let me just see. Hang on. Um, I, it's, it, I think it's called natural contraception. So it's NC, I think is the, the name of the app. But basically, it really is a great way of helping people to become aware of their fertility. And, you know, the, the difficulty here, and I think that the, the sad part of all of this is that there is a race, you know, in our society for lots of, you know, kind of cures or solutions that are medically based in terms of, you know, I guess pharmaceutically based, right? Because ultimately people these days, they don't really want to do the work. They don't really want to make the effort. They just want to take a pill and that's going to be the easy thing. But that's also how we're being trained uh, as a society. So the next thing that's going to be coming up very, very soon is the male pill. Right, and I'm sure that the male pill, which is already being trialed and, and tested, and it's it's already working, I'm sure that's going to have the same negative impact that it has, you know, on female reproduction as it as it will. Gabriella, no, I hate to say it, but I think there'll be a lot more pregnancies. <laughs> oh well, that too. I mean, that's the case. Absolutely, <laughs> exactly what I'm sitting here thinking. Seriously, <laughs> not sure I trust them. <laughs> And this is the thing that we don't quite realise, right? And that may very well be true because of lack of adherence. However, however, what happens is this. For the men who will take it, even if they take it for a period of time, right, that can already negatively impact their fertility. And so like we see with the pill, right, women might take the pill for six months. This happened to me, actually. I took the pill for six months. And what ended up happening is that after I got off the pill, I didn't have a period for six months, mm. right? And I, and I thought, this is very strange. And at the time, I was working at the obstetrician gynecologist. And I started talking to one of the female gynecologists there. And I said, hey, can I just ask you a question? Because this is really strange. I've just, I've got, gotten off the pill. I haven't had a period for six months. You know, like, should I be worried? What should I do? She said, look, it's probably a good idea for you to get done, you know, get some tests done. Go and see this doctor. Cause I didn't want to see someone in, in the practice that I worked in. Go and see this obstetrician over at this gynecologist over here and get them to do some tests and, and go from there. So I get to his office, right? And I say exactly what I just said. And he says, okay, you're pregnant. I said, no, did you hear what I just said? I did a pregnancy test and I'm not pregnant. He said, no, every woman is pregnant until proven otherwise. I'm like, uh, yeah, you're really listening quite well. But anyway, so then in the end, um, I did the result. I did the test. He said to me, call back in two days and I'll give you the results over the phone. So I called back and he literally did not even say, hi, Gabriella, how are you? Oh, okay. So you have polycystic ovarian disease and you're probably not, not ever going to have children. And that's all. I said, okay, so what do I do? And I said, and he basically just said, well, nothing. Come back to me if you ever want to have kids. I'm like, as if I'm ever going to come back to you. Wow. My first. That is incredible. <laughs> but you see, this is essentially what happens out there, you know, in real life, unfortunately. But yeah, that's exactly um, what happens. So, you know, I know that this is going to happen on the same side of the equation as it does to women everywhere around the world. Rosa, there's also, you've mentioned already around chemicals and particularly BPA and things like that. There's also, for many young couples and, and people trying to fall pregnant, and then those with weight issues, back to the chemical side of things, I mean, there's these, this group of chemicals now called obesogens, mm -hmm. which are interfering and also endocrine disrupting. And then what about your thoughts around VOCs, the volatile organic compounds, where people are building new houses we've got insulation we've got brand new carpet and underlay we've got brand new paint we've got new lounge suites there's no ventilation because heating is so important mm -hmm. like it could be something as simple as um creating ventilation in the home is it, is it that simple in your eyes as far as eliminating chemicals um watching the things that we're using in and on our bodies and also ventilation is it can it be that simple for some couples it would be nice if it was that simple but it, it it's quite it's not but it, that is part of the issue and I, i'll tell you what here's here's what happens a couple at peak fertility has an average of three months time to pregnancy 
Okay. So basically, it's literally have sex, get pregnant, have a baby, done. We're no longer having this conversation. When that doesn't happen, we then start to look at the obstacles that could be getting in the way. And that may be, there's a variety of different things from um, the, the person's medical history to the environment to nutritional deficiencies to habits, lifestyle choices, you know, you name it. So there's lots of different areas that can be impacted. So what happens though is that if you add one minor factor or an obstacle to fertility, and that might be, for example, a PCOS diagnosis or, you know, somebody who works in the chemical plant or, you know, somebody who basically doesn't get adequate sleep or has high, 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 high levels of stress. So all of those factors become what we call what I, you know, kind of dubbed minor factors or obstacles to optimum fertility. Now, this is actually statistical data, right? So we know that one minor factor and being added to the equation increases the average time to pregnancy from three months to two years. Okay. A second minor factor that we add to that equation. And again, you know, we've talked about, you know, all of these other factors, but insulin resistance might be another one, right? Obesity might be another one. Um, You add another one of these factors to the equation and all of a sudden we go from an average of two years time to pregnancy to seven years. Then, you add a third minor factor is all that it takes to take us from seven to 40 years average time to pregnancy. Nobody has 40 years to get pregnant, right? And so really what we need to start understanding in, and you know, part of what we do is really get very clear about in any given case, every single aspect that could be one of these obstacles to optimum fertility and optimum health because every single one of them potentially could be that thing that stops a couple from, you know, basically having a baby and taking a healthy pregnancy to term. And that's what we've seen, you know, over the years, I've had patients who uh, give you a couple of stories that really come to mind because of the nature of these minor factors. I had one couple who um, basically came to us, they had done 20 failed IVF cycles, and these were not transfers, these were fully stimulated IVF cycles, right? And they hadn't had a pregnancy within those 20 cycles. I mean, just apart from the the health impact alone, I mean, that's the the price of a house for crying out loud, you know? So they did all of these cycles, didn't get pregnant, came to us because they were like, okay, look, you know, we've, we've done everything. And this is what I hear often. People say, we've done everything, nothing has worked. The reality is that they haven't, but they just don't, when people say that to me, it just tells me that they... They, they've done everything that they knew, you know, everything that was in their mind to possibly try and they don't know where else to go or what else to do. So they came to us and, you know, we started to look at all of these factors that we talk about, you know, all of these minor factors in, in the 11 areas that we always look at. And we figured out many of the things that were getting in the way. And it wasn't just environmental. It wasn't just diet. It wasn't just lifestyle. It was a whole lot of different factors. And we addressed those and they were quite um, impatient. They they basically thought, look, we've never conceived uh, naturally in the time that we've tried. We've tried for many years. Um, IVF hasn't worked, but I think we'd better go and do another IVF cycle just in case so that we're not wasting time because by this time she was 39. So she was getting that double message of you're too old, your eggs are no good, and you're running out of time, which is essentially very sadly what people get all the time. But anyway, so she basically went ahead did the IVF cycle, ended up with the embryo that was going to be transferred, got to the time uh, of making that decision and the endometrium was too thick, we couldn't transfer. So we had to wait a whole cycle uh, before we could transfer. So that was six weeks, right? In that four-week wait of, you know, the, the cycle from the time of ovulation to getting a period, got that. And obviously in that month that she had to wait, she ended up conceiving naturally, right? And basically everyone was a little bit dumbfound Mm. by this, including us, because we also thought, wow, that's kind of amazing. But, um, but she conceived, she had a beautiful baby boy and that was lovely. And that embryo that she had frozen in, you know, in the freezer, um, basically after her baby boy was born, she decided to trans, came back to the program, revisited, you know, decided to then go and do that transfer. She's now 32 weeks pregnant right, with her third child now because she had, out of the 20 cycles, um, she had had actually 23 failed cycles. Uh, The third ended up being her daughter, 
many years of infertility, came back after 20 cycles, nothing, then obviously did the program, had, you know, natural conception and then obviously transferred the embryo that she had from the time that she was originally doing the program as well. So, you know, you look at situations like that and you go, okay, that cannot be chance, right? No. It, if, if it was chance, I mean, really. And there's another patient that comes to my mind because it's an equally incredible story. She basically had had three doctors from three different clinics tell her, you will never conceive without donor egg. And in fact, we even think that in your case, because of natural killer cells and a whole lot of other factors, it's probably not even going to work anyway. You might as well get a donor egg. Listen to this. You might as well get a donor egg uh, or just adopt right and she was like okay well I'm not quite ready to do that and she you know came to us we did everything that we needed to do there were many factors that were actually on her partner's side that had never been addressed and yet her, his sperm count was terrible like his sperm parameters were really under under you know average and they had never even been suggested one thing about this and and here she is being recommended to do donor egg right or even adoption so they basically came on board they did all the work they did everything we asked them to do and they conceived naturally you know for the first time ever um, after all the things that they had done for I think it was six years of infertility so then they came back to the program after the baby boy was born and uh, revisited, did everything that they needed to do again and conceived with her second pregnancy, which was a beautiful baby girl this time, who was then incidentally born and named Natalia Gabriella. It was my first Gabriella baby in 20 years. Oh, that's beautiful. But, you know, it's gorgeous. And, you know, the reality of it is that these things happen not by chance, right? They happen by design. They happen by deliberate focus and effort on the right areas. So as you said, Kim, you know, there are some factors that will impact. And what you said is exactly correct, that there will be environmental aspects that need to be taken into consideration. Volatile organic compounds are a re huge issue because of the endocrine disruption mechanisms. But it's not, that is one aspect out of many other factors that can get in the way as well. Yeah, Do you know what, do you know what blew me away is that story about the, the lady that had all those failed IVFs mm. and despite all of those drugs, because I have a, a friend who's had four IVFs and, you know, her children are now the same ages as my children. And I remember her saying when she was on the drug that she was on, and I can't remember the name of it, started with a C, um, she wanted to kill her husband. She said if she had a knife for no reason. This is the thing that it did to her. Um, and she said if she'd had a knife sometimes, she'd stab him. <laughs> so and this is what, and she was not like that at all. They had the most loving relationship. It was beautiful. But when she was on those drugs, it drove her. Yeah, to, many women. Yeah, to that. Um, Clomid. It was Clomid, I think. Okay. And, it, you know, this is, we're going back to 30 years ago that she was on this. And despite I know the drugs that they go on and all of the, the things that they do, just making those changes that you discussed enabled her to become fertile. That just, my, I would have thought there's no hope after that long because I've, I've heard so many people, you know, just say I tried and tried and tried and, and they give up. So, yeah. yeah, you know, you're right. We've got to, we've got to look at everything and why are we not looking at this first? Yeah. Why is this not the first port of call, not the last port of call? Exactly. Precisely. I mean, you know, that's my whole, the reason that I went to Harvard and that I'm, you know, pursuing a master's in public health is exactly to make this change, to be honest, you know, because I just feel mm. that as, you know, as, as a human, I just think that there has to be a better way. You know, there has to be a better way. And, and this is not even about, you know, there are so many other factors that will get in the way of not only being able to have a baby and, and obviously keep a healthy pregnancy to term and all of those things, but we're looking at population health in the long term, right? We're looking at generational health in, in doing these things because we know now that epigenetics is real, right? That the impact of the environment, everything that we do or the choices that we make, they will impact not only our generation now, the next generation, the, the generation after that. You know, I mean, there's many studies now showing that, you know, your health could be what your grandmother ate or whatever else. And, and that is a reality of what we're dealing with in this day and age. So the things that we are bombarding our, our bodies with today will impact not just our next direct line generation, but, you know, the generations that are to come. I often wonder if... 
because we're at this point where like the 1940s was the beginning of DDT. Well, before that it was arsenic and lead, you know, the grocery store entered the 1950s, McDonald's came in the 1970s, um, you know, vaccinations have gone from the you know 1960s when it first began um, to a couple of vaccines to now, oh my gosh, the list looks extraordinary what I see now on the vaccination list. Then there's, um, you know, the pill and I, I look at all these things that have happened from, you know, since the 1940s and we're now hitting the third, fourth generation and we now have a group of children uh, and we know the statistics because I've been on the ABS and it's 40% of kids now under the age of 15 have a chronic disease or um, or two or more. Yeah. You know, like this is, is this that exposome, that epigenetics that, that that's happening um, and you know, the fertility rate, uh, you know, I, I've actually heard statistics um, where they're looking at future st- um, statistics on fertility rates and, um, you know, how many people are going to be able to conceive naturally, yeah. Absolutely, and, and this is essentially what I was talking about before. It's just that it's, this is the, the chance of that happening is declining, you know, mm. throughout our time because the more that couples uh, embark upon the the types of... I guess, you know, it's not even, I don't have a problem with IVF, right? I don't have a problem with ICSI IVF, assisted reproductive technologies. I think that they are miraculous, truly, truly miraculous technologies that are amazing and that assist some couples have babies where it would have never otherwise have happened. But my issue in terms of all of this is when we start to look at the use of these technologies in lieu or instead of making the right choices for our body's, you know, health and vitality and well-being. And that really is where the problem lies because, as we know, right, the genes, they, they, um, they load the gun, as, as it's said, in genetics, and, of course, the environment pulls the trigger. So we know that if we are to do things in a consistent way over a period of time, and this is certainly what I've learned, you know, over the last 20-plus years that I've been involved in all of this through my studies and everything else, is that if you're making those adjustments, if you're making those changes, if you're making those commitments that are going to remove the obstacles and optimize what you already have, it's amazing the number of people who actually conceive and take home healthy babies despite um, previously failed attempts. You know, and in our clinic, we're just finalizing our reviews and we're just about to get our um, proper numbers. But I can share now that we've got about 74.25% of couples who go through our program, despite previous failures, actually conceive and take home babies. And we only work with people who basically have been infertile for two years or more or have experienced miscarriages and typically have done everything and nothing has worked. So the type of population, and typically our patients are late 30s to over 40s, which means that if something, if a lifestyle-based intervention can produce that level of response in a patient who previously has tried what they felt was like everything. Isn't it incredible if we start to look at you know, that as an adjunct and certainly as a replacement in many cases or at least as a, as a mid-step before taking something like IVF, you know, that should be a last resort. So I think that there is so much room for optimizing, but, you know, often that conversation becomes, you know, swept under the carpet because, you know, of many reasons, but certainly, I mean, IVF is ultimately a billion dollar industry. So nobody wants to give that up uh, either on, you know, on a whim. So it's about looking at all of those factors, but I think that long term, we're going to struggle population-wise if we don't do something different. Mm, I couldn't agree more. I yeah, and you know what? We need the young ones to you, Gabriella. We don't need um, I, I, we want the older ones to you. But we need these the young ones that um, to listen to what is happening. Yeah, imagine you know if people instead of you know being in their late thirties and early forties and have tried a whole lot of things that didn't work, if they actually did something else, and it's not even just you know it's not even coming to me. It's actually being empowered by this yeah. education on a 
in a global level through the medical systems, through, you know, these conversations that should be happening at school. You know, it's really, it's about that. It's so much bigger than, you know, one person. It's about looking at life from a different perspective, you know, and, and really understanding that our choices today will impact our lives and our future generations for many, many generations to come. Mm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. So let's talk about your book. Um, it's an upcoming book and I had the privilege of seeing it early and I'm abs- I absolutely love the forward. I, I just thought um, that client of yours that wrote that forward, you know, it brought tears to my eyes. And then what you're addressing and everything else that um, you're talking about, and I, I want to thank you. I, I got the privilege of doing an endorsement for you. So you. I, I did get a sneak preview. And, and for me, you know, for me, and I, I did say it in my endorsement, is it's about a healthy baby. That's what we want. You know, the fertility and everything is all good and fine, but we want healthy babies and we're not getting them. Yeah. Uh, so Let's talk about your book. Um, when will it be out? Uh, and um, how can people get it? And how do they find you? And all of that stuff, because I know that there will be people hanging on wanting to know this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Look, I think the easiest way for people to know when the book's coming out is going to be to navigate somewhere around the, the website, the naturalfertilitybreakthrough.com uh, website, because we are on literally about to hand over the manuscript to the editor tomorrow so they tell us that it's a, a four to six month you know process between that and actually publish date so I'm looking at the moment probably around August between August and October okay so it will depend upon you know obviously how quickly we edit after that and everything else but it's um it's definitely well underway to uh, being published and it's going to be a great book I think that it will enlighten a lot of people and, and help people understand the things that they can actually do and how they can optimize their chances of taking home a healthy baby. Because as you said, I think that there's nothing more to it. You know, at the end of the day, even, you know, if we look at intensive care units for neonatal intensive care units and and the cost of that Mm -hmm. to public health, you know, and the fact that we know for a fact, and there's been many, many studies that talk about the importance of a healthy parent and prospective parent to decreasing those numbers, you know, of of, um, NICU visits and everything else. So I think that it's, it's looking at that whole picture. But yeah, the book was definitely coming out sometime 2019. Naturalfertilitybreakthrough.com is definitely where people can find me. Uh, we run a, an online event as well for patients all over the world who basically may want to explore some of these ideas further and figure out, you know, if they, this is something that they would look to, like to look into more. It's called the Fertility Challenge. So people can just, you know, Google Fertility Challenge, Gabriella Rosa, they'll find it. Um, we've just finished one. We had 6,000 people in this last event and uh, we typically run them a few times a year. So people can come in and join and check it out for themselves. I'll make sure I put that on the show notes for anybody listening in their car so that they, they have got that information. Thank you. So, Gabriella, can you tell us? Sorry, Cindy. No, you go. If, if there was a message to give to couples out there trying right this minute and, and they perhaps haven't gone down IVF or maybe they're in the early stages of IVF, is there any advice you'd give to young couples before they go down any medical or interventional route? Is there anything you'd like to say to us? Do the fertility challenge, <laughs> you know, because it is, it's, look, it's a free event. And at the end of the day, it's very, it's educating people on the things they can do that will make a difference to their situation. You know, we've had literally so many babies that have been born from just doing that one event, just doing that one thing that has change their whole thinking and their understanding about things. I think that it's about taking charge. You know, a lot of people look at infertility as a, um, as a sentence, you know, that they have been sentenced with a issue that they can't do anything about and there is nothing further from the truth. The reality of it is that infertility is a changeable diagnosis and, you know, there are nine different category reasons for miscarriage so unless people are really digging deep because I I see a lot of people who have experienced miscarriage and have done you know have had one two three four you know 11 
was the long, the highest number of miscarriages that we've treated in our program. And the, the reality of it is that unless you are addressing all of those minor factors or obstacles that I talked about, and you first of all understand what they are, but then you actually know what to do about them, it makes it very, very difficult. And, you know, going back to basics is always going to help. You know, going back to the optimum aspect of health is absolutely going to make a difference. The issue is that fertility is finite, right? And the, the, the run, the, I guess the race uh, against the clock is real when it comes to this. So that's where a lot of couples, they don't have the time to try and piece it all together themselves. They have to be able to really figure out quickly and effectively what needs to happen next. So I think education is a huge thing, you know, really educating yourself, understanding what the impact is, and again, treating fertility as the team sport that we've talked about earlier. <laughs> I also think it's insane, really, that a lot of couples listening to this will be, there must be a part of them feeling quite devastated because there's couples out there that maybe don't want a pregnancy or there's unwanted pregnancies or there's people that just seem to fall pregnant just looking or rolling over and something and then there they are, they're, they're done. So it's it must be also, I guess, coming from Karen's perspective where there must be a universal, spiritual, greater greater force that play it well as well sometimes would you agree with that you know i absolutely do and here's what i will also say right because you know this this question that you're asking me it's a it's a wonderful question because this question is a question that i get in one way or another every single day i actually named it the heron addict syndrome right and here's why i had a patient once in my clinic she was sitting down she was bawling her eyes out really so devastated that she couldn't get pregnant and you know that she was she was so upset about the whole thing and she literally paused like in the middle of sobs the woman just stopped the whole room went quiet right and she just blurted i said you know what maybe i just should, should shoot up her heroin maybe then i'll get pregnant and i was like what <laughs> like i didn't quite like I, I was kind of shocked that the, the whole interaction was really quite bizarre for me but then she proceeded to basically say this exact thing that you know there's these people out there who don't even want babies they shoot up heroin here left right and center and they end up with healthy babies right those were her words and i was like okay that's that's one way of looking at the situation and the reality of it is that it all comes back to what we actually deem healthy first of all, because, you know, in our society, we look at a child that has two eyes, one head, two arms, two legs as healthy right, at birth. The truth is, as Cindy said, that's not necessarily the whole story. So there are different aspects that will come into play there. And when we talk about this, this idea of, you know, there are, and this is all about epigenetics. We've all heard of people who one, one time or another have had someone who has never smoked a day in their life and died of lung cancer, right? And then another person who was a chain smoker who didn't die of lung cancer. And so we need to have a look and see, okay, well, what is it? And yes, I think that divinity plays a role, no doubt. But then there is also this whole aspect of epigenetics and what genes get triggered and what don't, right, as a result of our environmental impacts. And, you know, this in certain aspects in terms of like practical aspects, this is a major issue when it comes to being able to take charge of the things that you can actually do. You know, one of the things that I talk about often in, is this whole idea of do your part and the heavens will come to your aid, right? You can't expect that it's just going to happen without you doing your part as well and doing the work. You know, I, it was my mother that was the one that never smoked a day in her life and died of lung cancer. Oh, yeah. You think of her epigenetics, I can tell them to you. You know, they were, you know, she was um, laced with DDT and arsenic and lead in the cornfields of Iowa. So mm. we know that this is happening, and uh, but, but to, it, is, it is right. You do feel like that sometimes. You go, oh, I'll just you do the heroin effect. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I just can't stop the heroin. Uh, it's like, okay, that's one way. <laughs> yeah, and you do see it, I'm afraid, and then you see these little addict babies and it's, yeah. and then they're in foster care and I, I get it, I get it. Kim, what have you gotten from, um, what are your two takeaways from this hour that we've had with Gabriella? Um, I feel one of the, the shocks, which I'm still quite, in shock about is the fact that one in, only one in four couples will actually take home a healthy baby. There's difficulty in taking a healthy baby home. And 
I, I just, I think I, you know, the thing that I've taken away from that is just how damn grateful I am that I have had two healthy children. They're now adults. And I would love to say this to people listening that do have children that, you know, sometimes they can drive you batty. Sometimes they exhaust you. Sometimes they're awful to you. Sometimes it's a challenge and you wonder why on earth you went to all that trouble maybe to have them. Um, but I'm sure listening to this and realizing the statistics of one in six couples are infertile and one in four have difficulty taking a healthy baby home, if for nothing else, it's reminded me just how precious it is and how miraculous the whole journey of birth, uh, pregnancy, conception, the whole thing is so profound and such a miracle and something not to be taken for granted. Um, that was my biggest takeaway. And my other one was, you know, back to the, the obesogens, the endocrine disruptors, the volatile organic compounds, the, the chemicals, the things that we do have control over that we could support ourselves with. I mean, when I went to have babies, you know, 20 years, 21 years ago, I didn't even realize there was any of these things, but my natural occurrence um, Gabriella was I made my husband do a cleanse for six months with me and we did a test I got his sperm tested and I'll never forget getting the test and then racing it in cotton wool and putting it on the counter and just looking at everybody going oh, that, that, that's my husband and, and just like it was the most bizarre thing but there was something innate in me that made me want to get us both healthy as possible to create the best possible outcome. And, and I didn't fall pregnant the first month we decided to have babies. And that was it. I was about to ring the IVF clinic. I was just devastated that I hadn't fallen pregnant. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, the following month I did. And I just I just really feel for the couples out there that, that are struggling because that in itself can put pressure on you. And, mm -hmm. and then it becomes this robotic kind of thing. Instead of making love to make a baby, it becomes this quick I'm ovulating and, and I just I really feel for where the world is at and I am so grateful to the work that you're doing because if when my daughter and Cindy's the same we've got young they're in the young early 20s but when they come to make decisions to have babies I sincerely pray that they are part of a generation that has this awareness this intellect this knowledge and this emotional intelligence to appreciate that it's a team sport mm -hmm. as you said so Thank you. They're my, they're my takeaways, darlings. Amazing. Mm. Thank you. Well, I took away, um, we are trying to fix the fertility issue from the outside in rather than the inside out. And if we put the right ingredients in place, we are going to have a better outcome. So they were my two. And I like ingredients for a recipe, ingredients for life, ingredients for a chemical-free home, ingredients for, you know, for everything. So... Um, yeah, they were my two takeaways. And as we're coming towards the end of our podcast, Gabriella, what are your words of wisdom that you would like to tell our audience um, as your parting words? Take charge. Don't let it just happen to you. Take charge. Mm. Love it. Mm. Responsibility and charge. Love it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes all the difference. Yeah. And I love your website, um, Gabriella, where you talk about the fertile method and how to help create your dream. I really think that that's a beautiful checklist uh, for people that are interested. Could you just give us your website details again, please, sweetheart? Sure, that's naturalfertilitybreakthrough.com. Perfect. And can we find you on social media as well? Oh, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. On it. We've got actually a great tips um, Instagram account that is uh, Fertility Breakthrough. So at Fertility Breakthrough, it's wonderful tips. And at Gabriella Rosa Fertility, we put, we've started, I started that account last year because we're having all these beautiful baby announcements and I didn't have a place to have them. So I decided to start that account, um, Gabriella Rosa Fertility, so that we could, you know, announce our babies and, you know, have a beautiful baby gallery. And it's just, it's growing by the second and it's just gorgeous. And how beautiful to have such a beautiful name, Gabriella Rosa, that they would want to name babies after you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But that was the first in 20 years. Let me tell you, that took a lot. Yeah. 
<laughs> Reminds me so much of a story when Danny was playing cricket and this beautiful couple that were horse breeders, they decided to name their racehorse Danny Morrison and we were at the races and this horse Danny Morrison was about to line up. My husband played cricket for New Zealand, Gabriella. And um, anyway, Danny said, oh, I should put $100 on it. And I went, $100? Why would you put that much? You don't even know what the horse can do. Anyway, I said, 20 each way. Well, the bloody thing won by seven lengths, didn't it? <laughs> and so, you know, I'm just like, have faith is what I would love to finish off by saying, that have faith um, to you couples listening to this that are trying. Um, on behalf of Cindy, Karen and I, we, we truly wish you all the best and really do sincerely hope that your dreams do come true and that you get to welcome that amazing miracle into the world. I always believe that there is little angels up there, way up there, waiting for the right moment, the right time, the right parents and the right place to actually be created. So never lose faith with that. And, and uh, Kim, sorry to interrupt you because that is so beautiful. It is absolutely gorgeous. And, you know, one thing that I've always thought is that, you know, what if that little baby is looking in and preparing you to be the parent that it needs? <laughs> so I think that it's, it's so poignant that you should say that because it's such a, a big important part of, you know, creating a family. I agree. And, and I also would love to say to many people that may be listening to this that know of couples that really have missed that opportunity or they weren't able to have children and we've, Karen had to leave. But on behalf of, of the Karens of our world that haven't had children for many different reasons, um, some are chosen, obviously, and that totally respect that as well. But for the couples and, and the women in particular that have missed that opportunity, I just want to say from all of our hearts, to yours that you are actually a mama in another way you're either a soul mama a beautiful friend mama a partner mama there we're always looking for earth mamas and and to you your mothering instinct will never be lost mm -hmm. and on behalf of all of us we just want to say thank you for for who you are and what you've done and for everything you've given to want to bring a baby into the world and we we know for many people they have fur babies and and they become beautiful godmothers and godfathers and just don't ever forget or underestimate the role that you play with or without children so beautiful gabriella rosa i just wanted to say your whole name again because it's just so beautiful <laughs> <laughs> um, that was really touching it was actually beautiful words beautiful oh, thank you thank you and I know Cindy Karen and I just have absolutely loved having you on our show it means a lot to every single one of our listeners so to all of you sorry what was that such an honor thank you oh our pleasure so to all of our beautiful listeners, if you've enjoyed this as much as we have, or if you yourself know people that are struggling, maybe in the fertility world, then maybe share this podcast with them because I think this something like this can be a game changer and it can certainly open up our hearts, minds, souls and spirit to other possibilities or maybe even little things we hadn't even considered. Take the fertility challenge. Be a part of a ripple effect that Gabriella is creating so that you too can have your dreams come true. And make sure you post your comments over on our beautiful Facebook page, thewellnesscouch.com. Oh, sorry, facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. Or you can go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. And I know for all of us, we certainly look forward to seeing you here at the same time, same place next week where you become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We'll see you then. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.